We're going to be in Revelation chapter 2, and we're going to, be in, so we're going to start in verse 1. Revelation chapter 2, verse 1. And it says, To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things say he who holds the stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven gold lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil, and you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have persevered, and have patience, and have labored for my name's sake, and have, and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember therefore from where you have fallen, repent, and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. But this you have that you hate, the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I'll give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your holy words, Father. We thank you, Lord, that you always, when your word says we're two or more gathered, you're in the midst of us. And Father, we pray now, Lord, that your Holy Spirit speaks to us as we look at this church of Ephesus, my Lord. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. This is a great passage. It truly is a great passage. It's a good reminder, especially to the coming to the end of this year, of how much God loves us, you know? And, and so I'm reminded in, in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, and it's in verse 27. You may see it behind me. This is where Jesus is talking to the, to the, to the uh, Pharisees, the spiritual leaders of Israel. And, and one of the lawyers, the scribes, walks up to him, and, Jesus, and he asks Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? So he answered, verse 27, and it says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbors as yourself. Right? Jesus, God is love. Right? God is love, and he pours out his love upon us. I love the, I love the worship songs that were picked today. They were awesome. They went well with what the Lord put in my heart. Actually, he, the Lord has put this particular theme in my heart throughout the year, and, and, it's, still, and it's still to be true. So, he's, you know, in this, in this passage, and it's good for you and I to remember that nothing's more important, right? Nothing's more important than, than God in our lives, right? He says here, that passage is read, you shall, the commandment, you shall love your God, right? And this is something that we could go in our lives and go on in, in, in years past, right? This whole year has passed. And we could sometimes lose track what is really the main thing. And the main thing is Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. So it's very encouraging, and it's always a good reminder to remind it that nothing's more important than God. Here in the book of Revelation, the passage we just read, it's the church of Ephesus. It's known as the loveless church. It's the loveless church. You know, um, sometimes when I, when, when, I, when I teach the Revelation, people right away go, ooh, Revelation. They get kind of, oh, no, Revelation, right? But we need to remember that it's the revelation of Jesus Christ, right? And it's a book. 
is a book which, which, which God reveals his plan and purpose for the church. It's always a good reminder of that, right? The word uh, translate revelation simply means, it means unveiling. A lot of people freak out, right, revelation. It just means unveiling. You know, it means to uncover, to reveal, to make manifest. Right? And I've always been taught this and I've always known it to be true. Revelation is a true privilege. It is a privilege that God wants to sh share who he is to us, what he wants for you in our lives. You know, we go through this year, we can say, man, where did the year go? I just said that too earlier, right? Wow, where did the year go, right? And it's true. It flies. But you know what? It's okay. As long as you have God, sometimes we make these plans and they did, we think they didn't, we didn't check them off the box, right? But God is with us and nothing's more important. And, and God wants to reveal many blessings in us. Sometimes when we look at this particular passage, we forget, if you notice, in chapter 1, verse 3, in chapter 1, verse 3 of Revelation, it says, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keeps those things which are written in it, for the time is near. See, God promised a special blessing to those who would read this book, but also who obey its message. Because this is the promise, because uh, the promise of Jesus Christ, he is coming, right? We all see it. We all see he's coming soon. That we, as Christians, we should all be motivated. We should all be uh, 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 for the obedience, and we should all be consecrated to the Lord. Because he says the time is near in that third verse. He's coming. He's coming. So Jesus here on, in, in the Revelation has specific, uh, special instructions to the apostle. The apostle John, who's the, who wrote, who's the writer of this, of this revelation by the Spirit of God, he says there in verse 19, if you notice, it says, write these things which you've seen and the things which you are and which things which will take place after this. See, God wants to reveal his will in our lives. God wants to show us direction in our lives, right? Because when you look at in that particular verse where he says, write these things which you have seen, well, he's talking about all the descriptions in verses 9 through 20 in chapter 1. He's, he's describing all that what John has saw right there at that moment. But when he says also in that verse, which are, he's pertaining in chapter 2 and chapter 3 on the seven churches of Revelation. There's seven churches there, right? And, he's, and he wants us, you and I, to know before the rapture of the church, before he comes, that these, these churches, want, in our lives, we are one of these as a church body, as individuals. And God wants to reveal these things to us before he raptures the church. So in chapter two and three, uh, uh, like I said, it contains seven letters. Now when you read the book of Revelation, especially chapter two and three, because if you notice in chapter two and three, it's to the church, it's strictly the church. Because when you look at chapter four all the way, the church is no longer mentioned. Matter of fact, when you look at Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, after he addresses the church, the very first word he says in verse 1, he says, after these things, I look. After what things? After the rapture of the church. All right? So, but before the rapture of the church, he's right here in this passage, he's talking to the actual churches that are there in that particular time. And he's also talking to you and I personally. Well, how do I know that? Because look at verse 7 again in chapter 2. In chapter 7, chapter 2, he says, he, that's a one person, individual, who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So I saw there's a personal application when he talks about these seven churches in, in the book of, uh, of Revelation. 
Now, to keep this in context before I go on this mess, before I go on what I'm going to share with you guys this morning, we need to remember these churches, they do represent the entire cycle of the human history from the apostolic age to the time of the rapture of the church. And here they reveal slow deterioration through the history, through the church's history. Right, the letter reveals that the church over time slowly, slowly losing the witness to the power, the witness to the world. Here Jesus reveals to us our spiritual condition. Why? To encourage us, right? To warn us for the church today. Now, we're going to read, the Lord, we're going to read here in this particular church. And you know what? As we look at it, I, I would like for us to look at it in our own individual heart, where God has us today, all right? Because remember, Jesus is the head of the church, all right? And only Jesus can accurately uh, inspect each church and each true condition. Why? Because he sees what's inside and he sees what's in the outside, all right? He attends every church to read these messages and benefit and grow, grow in, in the Lord, right? And, and, that's, and it's, to me, it's encouraging. So here we're entering 2019. I'm sorry, we exited 2019, entering 2020. And it's always a good time at the end of the year to reflect the goodness of God, goodness of what God has done in our lives. And it's always good. It's, it's, it, where is my spiritual walk? Every, at the end of every year, I, uh, uh, Tony mentioned uh, the men's retreat in February, Calvary Chapel. And I really, man, I encourage you guys to go. I was, I was talking to the pastor there from, from the Santa Cruz area. And they're going to get a, an awesome speaker, and they're encouraging uh, the men to take their sons, uh, and because they're going to target on what the world is saying, what a man is supposed to look like. All right, and the world don't know what we're supposed to look like. All right? Well, God knows what, how He created us. All right, so I wanted as a side note, I really want to encourage you. It's going to, they expect to be packed this year, and, and I'm drawing a blank of the speaker right now, but it's 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 an awesome. It's going to be an awesome awesome uh, retreat, so I really encourage you guys to go. So going back here, it's always good to reflect the goodness of God. Where are we spiritually? Where are we, right? Am I on the path that's depending on the Lord, or am I on my own path? Because when we're on our own path, we start drifting away from God. And when we start drifting away from God, we are no longer hearing God. And when we are no longer hearing God, how are we going to know the love of God? in our lives. When things go wrong, we start saying, where are you, Lord? All right? And this is why I love this particular passage, especially verse 4 we're going to read today. So we need to ask ourselves, where is my love for God? All right? Where is my heart for the spiritual things of God? So, there's these, so here are these churches, especially the one today. Where am I? Where is my walk? Now, before we go, the background, because you've got to know the background, all right? The background here is the Apostle John is writing this letter from the island of Patmos. He was sent there for being a witness for Christ. You can see that in ch chapter 1, verse, uh, verse 9. Ephesus represents the church. It's busy. It's, it's in its infancy, slowly, slowly leaving its first love. The time period here is from Acts 2 to Pentecost to about 160 A.D., Ephesus here is a chief city in Asia Minor, which today is Turkey. The, uh, a major marketplace in Asia, located at Castor's River on the Gulf of the Aegean Sea. Population about 200,000, more than 200,000 people live here. It had the Temple of Diana, 
one of the seven wonders of the world. It was 425 uh, foot long, 220 feet wide, 60 feet high, 127 marble pillars, and it was overlaid with gold and jewels. It had an, it had an image of a multi-breasted fertility goddess, so they worshipped this goddess, and it had well they had well-paved streets, public buildings, scientific center, a medical center, a library, and a theater that seated about 56,000 folks. Sometimes when we read these, we think, you know, the old age, stone age, but they were modern. It, it sounds no different than what we have today in today's world, right? And in Acts 19, uh, uh, here you can see where Paul ministered here for three years. The Apostle Paul planted this church on his third mission around AD 58, and he wrote to the Ephesians this letter. He wrote them a letter, I'm sorry. Timothy and the Apostle John also pastored this church. They had some great pastors. And Aquila and Priscilla and Apollos were also part of this church. So they had great doctrine, great teachers, great leaders. They knew the word of God. But yet Jesus is telling them, you're leaving your first love. Right? Starting to lose focus, right? So how did the Ephesus become this loveless church? Right? How do they move when you look at these seven churches to the lukewarm church? We could do that. I'm sure in our walk we have at times done that. Left, you know, got a little lukewarm. Some people call it backsliding. All right, backsliding. So let's look at our passage this morning. Let's look at, notice in verse 1, how Jesus addresses the church of Ephesus. He says in verse 1, To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things say he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the soul in seven golden lampstands. So he says here, to address this to the angel of the church of Ephesus. So who is this angel? Well, some people say it could be an angel overseeing the church, or else a, a messenger, a representative, or a pastor, which is what I believe it's who should be addressing it to. Because the word there is angelos, right? It's called a messenger of God. Right? And then when you, when you read your scripture and you cross-reference the scripture, that same exact word is used for John the Baptist on, in Matthew 11, 9 through 10, where it says, But what did, you see, what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet, for this is he whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger, talking about John the Baptist, before your face, who will prepare your way before you. So that same word he's using right there is for a human being, okay? So it's not an angel, like an angel with wings, right? Scripture never has an angel write to humans, ever. Never in the scriptures do they write anything to the, to the humans, right? So this angel, this, this messenger, represents this church, right? But we need to remember when we read stuff like this, when we read things like this, that this letter isn't just written to the pastor, just for the representative. It's written to the whole church, all right? It's written to you and I as well, right? Because here, pastor, as we know, pastor has an influence, the responsibility to the church. Because in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, it says, And he himself, as God, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, verse 12, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. See, as a church body, we are to glorify God in all, all that we do. I mean, I hear that we were worshiping the Lord a little while ago, and you could just hear people worshiping, just loving 
love you, Jesus Christ. And that's great. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to worship him. We're supposed to learn him. We're supposed to know more of him. And we are, as a church, we represent him. Right? So at this time of the writing, the Ephesian church had existed for almost 40 years. 40 years. Notice again in verse 1 where he says, These things say he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven gold lampstands. You know, we could look at this and say, what is he talking about, right? But look at, look at verse, verse 20. In the verse, verse 20, he explains, that whole, he explains what he's talking about right there. In verse 20, he says, Revelations, he says, the description, the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven gold lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. So here you can see stars it represents the pastors. Right? And the lampstand represents the church churches. See, Jesus is the head of the church, right? He is the head, and he is, he holds these pastors in his right hand. And, you know, he's holding the church accountable. And he begins with a word to the pastor who is empowered and held by Jesus Christ. And then, you know what? Someone that, that serves God as a pastor, there's nothing better to know that Jesus God, Jesus has, Christ has myself or any other pastors in their hands because we need the power of Jesus Christ, right? We need, this is his church. Jesus, not the pastor, is who we please. And he's the one that holds it all together. Matthew 16, 18, it says, he's talking, Jesus talking to Peter, and I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. So, so the church is... Is, is of the Lord, it's not of the pastor, but, we, but as a church, we are responsible as leaders to be able to equip the saints. So what is he saying here? He's saying, I am walking in the midst, judging your ministry as the pastor. That's what he's telling in this particular context, right? He's saying, I'm hold your, you, I hold you most responsible. You know, it, it's, and he basically what he's telling them there, right here, is that, uh, uh, that they claim to represent him, and he will hold them responsible. That's why it's so important. I love what uh, my kid was talking about a little while ago. Pastor Tim is getting away. It's good to get away, to get refreshed. It's very important that the church body prays. Continue to pray for your pastors. Pray for the leaders, you know, because he's called to pastor this church. My um, kid talked about, you know, I love that passage in Revelation of little strength, right? We are little strength. That's why it's encouraging he gets back. Because why? Because I love the passage where it says, for one I am weak, right, in Second Corinthians chapter 12, but yet I am strong. What does he mean by that? Because when I am weak, I have no one else but to depend on but the Lord Jesus Christ, right? And that's what he's talking about. And, and that's why it's so important that we do pray, that we all pray. I pray for Tim, my wife and I, we pray for Tim every morning before I go to work, you know, and some other pastor friends of ours. Because, you know, we, we want to be, be uh, pleasing before the Lord. We want to be in his will. And it's very, very important. It's a lot of responsibility, so much responsibility to be a pastor. Matter of fact, in James 3, 1, it says, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. And many times people want, you know, those leading roles. But there is a higher stricter judgment for those leading the sheep. 
Hebrews 13, 17 says, obey those who rule over you and be submissive. Why? For they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. Let them do with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. And he's talking to the church in the book of Hebrews. See, so the warning begins the pastor because he influenced the personality of the church. But it also applies to the entire church because we have a personal responsibility in what God has called each one of us to do for him. All right? Because we, as church bodies, as you guys know, we shouldn't be spectators. We should be involved in something, all right, in the church. And, and that's just what God is calling for you and I to do. Um, and like I said earlier, I do love what he says, he who has an ear, let him, have, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I'll never forget, church, that Jesus says, we are the light of the world. Right? We are the light of the world. And what does that look like? Well, we should be most loving people to those who don't deserve to be loved. Right? Those, we should have the love of Christ totally just be pouring out on us every time we are abiding in Christ. You know, we could look in our jobs, we could look in our families, and we have fa friends and families which are hard to love, right? But then you know what? If, if we are abiding in Christ, God will give us that power. God will give us that love. Many times I do, I, I pray, Lord, let me see them how you see them, right? And he will, because he died for them. And he wants to use each one of us for extension, for his grace and for his love, to comfort those others, and, right? So Jesus knows about the condition of the church. Because look at verse 2. In verse 2, he says, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And I have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. Verse 3. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become Weary. We're an awesome church. This is an awesome church, right? Look what they're doing. He says there, I know your works. Jesus looked at his church and he knew its condition. He knew what they're doing, right? They were, they were a serving church. They were outreaching churches. And that's great. And you know, it's always good to be reminded. Sometimes when we serve God, either be in the church or at home or wherever you're at, sometimes you just feel alone, right? Man, Lord, is, is this really counting for something? Never forget, right there, it says, I know your works. He sees. That's all that matters. Who cares if no one else is seeing that I'm doing the children's ministry? Who cares if no one else is seeing the midweeks that we're doing? It doesn't matter. God sees it. And that's who our number one, that's who our audience is. Amen? That's no one else we, we should be, be trying to please with, but the Lord Jesus Christ himself, right? So he says there in that verse 2, he says, I know, and it means I know fully. Right? That's what that word means. I know fully your works, your deeds, right? And, he's, and your labor, because he says weariness, right? The, their lives are filled with nothing but service, right? He's telling this, this church here that you guys are fellowship on fire with activity, right? They are tireless to the point of sweating. That's what that means in your labors, right? They're not spectators. They work to the point of exhaustion. You know, one of the things when we were here, uh, my, my family and I, it, it's always been great. And this church is known for outreaching. It is known because I, you know, I go to a lot of different churches, right, to visit and stuff. And, 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 and that, that, it doesn't really matter, right, as long as Jesus sees it. But it, they know that this, this church extends to the homeless, 
to the, 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 the house, the Reims house, to the house where people are down and out and need help. You know, one time they had a men's group, a men's home, I should say, all right? And it's an extension of God's love, which is what God sees. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. All right? In the Lord. Forget that paycheck. All right? You're investing into the kingdom of God. All right? In the kingdom of God. Second, you can see here, there's five things that we're going to look at. The second one is they exhibited uh, what it says there, patience, which is the word endurance. Right? They had a, a courageous and steadfast endurance under a tremendous pressure. Think about it. They had this, I just read it to you guys, they worshipped the, the Diana. If you guys remember the book of Acts, they got mad because Paul was, was preaching something else that they shouldn't be worshipping the Diana. And that was their income. You know, that was their income. Many times the world, that's how they look at us. They look at us as, as, as we're crazy because we love Jesus so much. Right? And so when you look at that word here, patience, it's the word hupomone. And that word means keeping, keeping on with a good attitude. That's convicting. <laughs> That's truly convicting. Keeping on with a good attitude. Faithful with no complaint. Can we look in our own hearts and say that? Because remember, they're going through some serious hardship. I'm sure a lot of these, and I, I read the history, a lot of these people weren't getting jobs because they weren't worshiping the Diana, the Temple of Diana. Right? And that's the income, because they're not part of the world. Now those these Christians are dope. They believe in that Jesus. You know, and how many times have we been passed by because promotions? Because we are not going out and doing the things the world is doing. So they are going through it. And he's saying, you know what? I see you, but you got a good attitude. You're still serving me? Because you know, right? And then I love that. Second Timothy chapter 2 uh, Verse 3 says, you therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Well, it's the other third good thing they do here. It says there in that verse, you cannot bear those who are evil. There was a holiness in this church, separated, right? They, have, they held to a, a proper standard of behavior, right? And they did what they needed to, do to retain purity, right? The type of fellowship who would enact church discipline when necessary like you remember in Ephesians 5, uh, verses 3 to 4, what Paul wrote to this particular church, it says, Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Uh, obscene stories, foolish talk, and coarse jokes, they are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. There was no sin in the camp. They called it out. If you guys remember 1 Corinthians, they had this uh, in chapter 5, they had this one guy, this one guy who was sleeping with his, his, uh, his, his mother, uh, stepmom. And Paul writes to him, say, hey, what are you guys doing? You guys aren't saying anything to them? You got, if they're not repenting, you've got to kick them out of the church. They will not put up with any sin in the camp. And they did, which is good. If you read 2 Corinthians, he came back and repented. Right? They, they addressed the purity of the church. Right? So they, this church here is doing many wonderful things. The first, the fourth thing they did here is it says, you have tested those who say they are apostles and found them liars. They maintained doctrine purity as well. They knew the word of God. They're holding fast that would have been delivered to them. Remember in Acts 20, 29, before the apostle Paul left, 
he tells them, for I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among you, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw, the, a, a draw away the disciples after themselves. They were in the word. They knew the word. They couldn't be deceived. I read to you guys all these great uh, pastors they had and leaders. They knew the word of God. They could quote the word of God. Right? And, and, they, and Apostle Paul, he warned them, hey, there's going to be some wolves coming after I leave. So know your word. Right? That's the only way we could protect ourselves. That's why one of the things I love about the Calvary Chapel movement, sure, it's not a perfect movement, but what they do is they center around the Bible. You know, when I, when I, when I do talk with, with Pastor Tim, and that's all we do is talk about the Bible. Right? We talk, hey, how's everything going? going? Boom. We start talking about the Word of God because we love the Word of God. Right? God is good God. And so they, it's always good to be uh, knowing. When I come up here or anybody else is teaching something, look it up. Follow alongside. Have a Bible in your hand. You should, we should, we should want to grow. We should know the Word of God to, for our direction. And the fifth thing they did, it says, you have not become weary. If you see, notice that in that verse. Right? They kept working and had done so much for a long time. They remember Galatians 6, 9, it says, And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. A lot of people quote that scripture, but they forget that last part. If we do not lose heart, that's Galatians 6, 9. God, God is our audience. God is our strength. God is our love. But when we keep that in mind and we serve the Lord, we will not lose heart. Yeah, we will have some bumps, but we will not lose heart because we will have the Lord Jesus Christ in our, in, in, in before us all the time. All the time. See, but I, by all their outward appearance, this church of Ephesians, of Ephesus, this looks like a solid church. They worked hard. They had great outreach and protected the integrity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, you could say this is a model church. All churches want a church like this. Right? All churches want this kind of ministries, want to be known for this. The word of God, prayer, service. Right? But never forget that God looks at the heart. Right? He tells that in David. Right? He looks at the heart, not the outside. Right? So look what he says here. And this is kind of where I would love to spend a little time on. Uh, look at verse 4. Notice. Here's Jesus, his verdict against this, the condition of the church. Starts off what you never want to hear Jesus tell you. Nevertheless, all right, nevertheless, I have this against you. What is it? That you have left your first love. Man, you would see all that, all those things that he just pointed out. You know, I, I look at it in my own, my own way, right? It's like, yeah, yeah, we do do that. Yeah, we do do that. Yeah, praise the Lord. All right, praise God. All of a sudden, nevertheless. Uh-oh. Nevertheless, he tells them, I have this against you. You have left your first love. Matter of fact, this is what I'm calling this message today, first love. In spite of all the good that they were doing, there was something very wrong with this church and in the eyes of Jesus Christ who was in the midst of the church, right? Jesus condemned them by saying, you left me. Right? You, you might be here, but you're not here, 
You're not here at all. Because when he says that word nevertheless, what that word means is despite all that, right? Yet despite all the good you do in your church, I have something against. Now that's another word you need to look at, right? We need to look at, I have this against you. Amen, you know church, when, when, when we read something in our hearts, regardless if it's here somewhere else, and we're doing something that's against what God's word is telling us, it should open our eyes. It truly should. It should truly open our eyes. Because God is a gracious God. He's a patient God, but he's a holy God. All right? and, 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 and he will always make things right when we repent. But never forget that as well, right? Notice he says that you have left, right? Left your first love. They didn't lose it. That's always a good reminder when we read passages like this. They didn't lose it. They left it because he's still there. He's still waiting lovingly, patiently, right? He's telling you left your first love. When you lose something, you, uh, right, you don't know where it's at, right? You don't know where it's at at all. So he's saying, you, he's telling them right there, you left something, but you simply walked away from it. I'm sorry, I lost my moments, my thought. He's saying there that you know where it is, but you walked away from it. You know where it's at. All right, you know exactly where it's at. You put it down. You know, I know, hey, if you put down, you can't find your keys. Or for some of you guys, you can't find remote controls, especially when you're watching some sporting event or something. You're going to go look for it. Right? You see, I hear that. I know. Me too. Right? You're going to go look for it. All right? And this is what God is saying. Hey, you didn't lose it. You just put it down. Why don't you go look for it? All right? I'm here. I, I want to be every part of your life. Sometimes when we read stuff like that, we think that, we're, that, that God has forgotten us or he's going to punish us or we, there's no way we can make it up. God is, God's grace is full of graces, endless graces. We're harder on ourselves than Jesus is on us as long as we repent. Right? And God wants you and I to make him number one, the main thing, the main thing. Right? Most of the guys that come to the, to the, to the men's studies in the past, they all, I always say that. Make Jesus the main thing, the main thing. That's, that's all that matters, and, and that's what God wants, right? So here, the, the, the church of Ephesus, they didn't stop loving Jesus. Look at all that stuff you're doing for, they were doing for them, right? They, they, he loved them, right? But they got so busy, and this is very convicting, they forgot why. Why am I doing these things, you know? And I love many, uh, folk, a lot of people I know, and, and a lot of folks in this church as well, the heart to really go out after work on your own time to go serve God's people. But we need to tell ourselves, why am I doing it? Because when we don't, you know, if we're doing it just because you feel like we have to, there will be that day where you say, do I really got to? It's cold outside. Right? So why are we doing it? Right? And this is what God is trying to teach you and I. When we serve him, because he loves you so much. He loves you and I so much. It was so easy for the Christian to become a routine, a traditional church, a habit of doing spiritual things without the love of God. And that is so easy to do. It's so easy for you and I to go, to be filled with service uh, without the heart in it. And that's not what the Lord wants. Because what happens when we do that, we don't represent him. You know, we don't represent the joy of the Lord in us, right? And he doesn't want that. He wants us to represent him, right, in the power of the Spirit. 
So they're doing the right things, but with wrong motives. And we could do that, right? We could do that in our, in, in our personal lives, in our, in, our, in our church lives, and we can do that. You know, we just do it. We just do it. We just do it, right? And it's not, it's not what he wants. So we see, we weren't just saved, right, to, to be servants, right? It was, right? It's, we, we want, it's for his love, it's for the fellowship. Otherwise, the angels could do it. And the angels could do a lot better job than you and I could do, right? He wants us to, to, to do it because we love him. With fellowship, right? We could give our kids, our grandkids, many, many gifts and bless them. But ultimately, as parents and grandparents, what do we want? We want them just to love us, right? just to know that we love them. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ is doing, right? Service here is, is something that ought to come out of us because we love Jesus Christ. I think I put this up, the scripture up here as, as well, Cause, right? Because he died for, for you and I. In 2 Corinthians 5.14, I love this verse, 14 and 15. For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all, look at capital O, that's Jesus, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him, that's Christ, who died for them and rose again. It's a powerful verse. That's one of my favorite verses, to, you know, when I, when, I, when I feel the memes, feeling sorry for myself, right? I, I, I'll read this one, right? And it's such a great verse to be reminded, right? He died for us for love, not for service, right? 1 Corinthians 13, 13. This is now abide, faith, hope, love, these things, but the greatest of this is love. That's the greatest thing is love. First love is the devotion to Christ, right? That's what first love is about. That's so, that so often characterizes uh, uh, the new believer, the fervent pers uh, personal, right? It's exciting. When you, the first time you become a Christian, remember the first time you became a Christian? You know, I didn't become a Christian until I was an older person. I didn't grow up in the church. I grew up in a traditional church. You know, you guys know what I mean. All right? But I didn't become a Christian, in, you know, until I was 42, around that age. I wanted nothing to do with God. It didn't matter to me. I, you know, I, that's good for you, you know. To me, you know, my dad died when I was younger, and people were praying for him. And to me, that particular part of my life, well, he still died. Where, where, you know, I didn't know God. But once I was enlightened by God and I knew that I was a sinner and I was going to hell, man, I changed my life. I love God so much and I'm not perfect, mind you that. I love him so much, I know where I was going. And he died for me? Man, I know all of you guys have that same type of testimony. And, and you don't have to be someone on the streets, you know, like, like I was. You could just know you could just know that God died for each one of us personally. So, of course, I would love to serve him. I want to serve him the best I can, no matter what it is. It doesn't have to be up here. It could be wherever. I just want to serve him. And this is the kind of love he wants. He just wants that beautiful love. The love when you, when you, you first experience Jesus Christ. The first time you experience his grace. When you understood, I don't know if you, if you ever understood the word grace. Right, once you understood what that meant, unmerited favor, sadly here Jesus is saying, you know what? The honeymoon is over. Right? And, you, and, your, and your love that was hot, it's not there no more. 
And this is what he's telling this church. Remember, this church, with, with, with second and third generation Christians, uh, they, are, they, are no longer, they are no longer making him number one. And like I mentioned earlier, you can see the progression of all these seven churches, and it goes to that seventh one, where it's a lukewarm church. And that's the beginning. The beginning is when your love for Christ, which should be the center of our, of our, of our heart, right? I'm not sure if I got this one up here, but in the book of Jeremiah, I love the Old Testament. In the book of Jeremiah, uh, Jeremiah, you know, he is uh, making a heartfelt appeal, a heartfelt appeal to Jerusalem, right? Because they're going to get judged. They're going to be, they're going to be judged. They're going to be overtaken. And he's telling them before this happens, because God is gracious, like I just told you, right? And, and he's telling them about their past. He's saying Jeremiah 2.1, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, this is Jeremiah saying, verse 2, Go and cry in the hearing of Jerusalem, saying, Thus says the Lord, look at that, I remember you, the kindness of your youth, the love of your betrothal, I have a hard time saying that word, when you went after me, in the wilderness, and in the land, and the land not sown. Don't you remember the first time you loved me? He's pleading to him. Remember, right? He, the, you remember the kindness, how you, much you love me, how much we we're just like this. Because he does, he knows he's going to judge them, and they're not repenting. And he gives them that beautiful. He's telling them, "Come on, you know. Remember when you have to go after me, All right? And, and most of us, most time when this is being taught, it's true. When the first time you're dating, you know." What are you doing? Right? Where are you at? I'd be right over it. Right? It's the same thing. Right? He just wants us to have a personal relationship and, and have communication with all the time. Include them in everything that we do. In every single thing. That, it's, that, it's that love. Right? It's that beautiful love. So here, he, the commendation, right? He's, he's telling them, you have retained a high level of service and a period of doctrine life. But the problem is, you don't love me. You don't love Jesus intensely. He said, you're going through all these motions and going away from Jesus. Have you noticed that? Most time when things are going wrong or things that we think are going wrong, we tend to fall away instead of falling towards. All right? And this is another thing, and I'll always bring it up because it's so true. When things, are going, when things are not going the way we think they're going, we need to fall towards Christ. All right? Not away from Christ. You know, because Christ is like this. Right? He's just, he just right there waiting. And we need to fall towards him, and he will take care of you know. And, it's, and it's, it's a good reminder for you and I. You know, this is also another passage in the Old Testament. One of my, another one of my favorites. It's Joshua. You guys remember the story of Joshua, right? 24. For me and my house, right? I don't know about you cats out there, right? But for me and my house, right, we're going to serve the Lord. But in Judges, in chapter 2, Verse 8, look what happens. It says there in verse 8 in Judges, Now Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died. And when he was 110 years old, verse 9, and they buried him with, within the border of his inheritance at Timonar Harris in the mountains of Ephraim, on the north side of Mount Gash, verse 10. When all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, look at this, Another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord nor the work which he had done for Israel. The next generation. After he made this big, you know, big, big thing, hey, for me and my house, and people, yeah, we will serve, we will serve. 
right? And now there's in Judges, the next book, he's saying that next generation didn't even know who he was. They didn't know what he did for him, right? And that is a powerful, powerful verse that we could skim right over. Right? But it's a, it's a good reminder, right? What's the key there? It is possible to have a, a fervent love for Christ and yet also fail to let other people know about it, to share it with our kids, share it with our grandbabies, share it with our neighbors who Jesus is. And I believe, it don't say, but this is probably what happened here in, the, in, in, that, in the Old Testament time. They, don't, they no longer showed it. They no longer were telling everybody, look, look at my Lord Jesus, what he's done for, for us, right? A generation can arise real quickly and, and, and totally could forget about who, who the Lord and all the things that he did in our lives. There needs to be a constant reminder, constant education, constant reading that Jesus is everything, all right? It's so important. It's so important that we tell our kids, hey, their walk is their walk, right? Their walk is their walk. Their walk cannot be your, my walk and your walk, but we can give you an example of Christ, showing the love of Christ to them, because they're gonna leave someday and they're gonna have to make choices. And that's why it's so important that you and I pray for them and continue to point to Christ, and it's very important. Uh, I got a quote here I love by David Guzik. It says there, a couple that has been married for a long time doesn't always have the same thrill of excitement they had when they first dated. That is to be expected, and it's fine. I like this part. If the excitement has matured into a depth of love, that makes it even better than the first love. I love this quote. You know, I, I truly love this quote. I, always, I, I got it written down. It's just a reminder for myself, right? It's the depth of your love. When you fall in love the first time, it's great, but you, we need to grow in that love. We need to know God. We just can't rely. Well, I remember 20 years ago when God did this. It's great, but you need to grow. And this is what Jesus is telling this church of Ephesus. Nevertheless, you left my first love. And, and it's a good reminder as we come to the end of the year, what has God done for us this year? Right? I bet you there's a lot of things there that, 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 that Jesus was there for us. And something we could just forget and could go back. What's 2020 got? All right? You know, what 2020 is it's, it's coming, but what you know, but God is gracious God, and we need to continue to grow our, our love for Him, right? And, and, and our relationship is the most important thing, it is the most important thing to Christ, all right? It, it needs to be it needs to be cultivated, it needs to grow, otherwise, we become backslidden condition. And, and, and the best example I like to use all the time is you know, we're from California, so when you go to the beach, when you go to the beach, you put your towel out there. You close out there. All of a sudden, you're playing out in the water, in, in, the, in, the, in the ocean, in the beach, and they call you, and you look, hey, where's my stuff? Hey, how did my towel end up way over there? Right? Right? It's that little gradual move, because we're not focused where we're at. You're too busy doing your thing. It's nice and having fun. All of a sudden, you lost where you're at. And that's how we become backslidden, because no one says, hey, I'm a backslide today. Right? No one says, I'm not going to do these things for God today, all right? We just lose our focus, and that's how that happens. But when we are in the presence of God, and we are loving God, and we are serving God, and we're totally in our devotionals, we're always going to have them, and you're going to, I'm going to know where my towel is right there, right? You're going to know where you're at the time. God loves me, all right? So what is the solution? All right, what is the solution? Look at verse 5. It says, remember, therefore, for where you have fallen, Repent and do the first works, or else I'll come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, 
unless you repent. See, the Lord always offers a solution. He's saying, remember, repent, and return, right? Where it says do, right? So what's the first step of restoration? It's, it's to remember from where you have fallen. This means remembering where they used to be in their love for the Lord and for one another, right? You gotta remember the prodigal son. The prodigal son in Luke, 15, in Luke 15, the same thing. He wanted all the things of the world. He wanted to do all these other things. And, and he got to that point where he was in the, in, with the pigs. And he said, you know what? I remember how blessed I was being in my house. I had everything there. And here I am, I'm, I'm out here lost in the pigs. So many times for you and I, we need to remember, right, where you have fallen, where, where the, that's how you get restored, right? A renewed life begins when, where you met Jesus Christ. You remember the testimony, how Jesus saved you. You know, it's a service of gratitude. You know, that's one of the things I could, all, I, I'll always remember where I was when I accepted Jesus Christ in my Lord. I remember the whole steps. When I was trying to disprove, because I was trying to disprove who he was. Right? I was trying my hardest to disprove who he was. I didn't want him in my life. But by his grace, he every time I tried to disprove it, he revealed it. He showed himself more and more in his life. And he's a great, loving God. He says he'll repent. We are to repent. Also from the sin of busyness. Repent from being too busy to spend time with God. Repent means a change of mind, a direction from where you are now. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All right, he's, what do they call it? The Christian bar of soap, right? Anytime, every time you always, 1 John 1, 9, confess your sins and you're washed if you know Jesus. What else? He says return. You know, you could, you could run for many years, but it only takes one step. It truly only takes one step to come back to Christ. Or else, if you don't, Jesus, uh, he says here, he's going to remove. His presence is going to be removed. As you can see here, he's still there, right? Sadly, sadly, though, when you look at history, Ephesus is no longer here. It's, one, it's not there no more. The church is no longer there. Some churches today don't, don't even notice that he's not in the presence in their church. Verse 6. But you have this. But this you have, I'm sorry that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. See, the Ephesians church separated themselves not only from false doctrine, but also from false works. The word Nicolaitan means to conquer the people. Some scholars believe this was a sect who lorded it over, quote unquote, right? The church and robbed the people from the liberty in Christ. They're like a priest, like a priesthood, right? Jesus says here, I also hate them because they would not put a man between, because they, uh, they would put a man between us and God right, to compete for his love. That's what they're doing, right? So Hebrews 10, 19 says, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiness by the blood of Jesus Christ, right? We have all access to Christ. We don't need someone to speak for us. Jesus wants that, wants that personal relationship. And here, verse seven, as we carry close up. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I'll give to eat from the tree of life which in the midst of the paradise of God. See, Jesus doesn't force us to hear him out, right? But if we listen to God's word, we are encouraged to listen to what the Spirit says to the church. It's an individual thing. It's an individual act, right? It's an individual, what we do, right? To overcome, uh, to, uh, is the one who overcomes, he will says here, he will, he will give 
he'll get to eat to the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. This doesn't, this doesn't imply that they are saved by overcoming. It has nothing to do with salvation. But their overcoming pro provides their conversion experience. Right? The tree of life symbolizes eternal life. The promise for those overcomers was a return to Eden, a restoration, an eternal life. The paradise of God refers to heaven, the place where God lives, where God is. Right? That, 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 that's paradise. So for believers, you and I, we must guard ourselves from a cold heart. It's easy to do. It's really easy to do. Jesus here is speaking of overcoming the coldness of a heart, of the lack of love, marked by, the, by, the, by us leaving our first love. All right, so then how do we stay on fire for, or restore our first love? Well, in, in, in conclusion here, remember, you know, I, I said earlier that we're at the end of the year, and maybe there's some folks here that's in that state. I don't know. Right? But he says, remember, and that literally means keep on remembering what we have lost, right? And cultivate a desire to regain that close communion with God once again. Well, when we remember what, 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 who he was, we're going to want that flame to, 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 to be flamed up, that fire to be flamed up. We need to repent. We need to change our mind and confess our sins. And we, we need to return to the first works. Well, that means suggesting, that suggesting restoring the original fellowship that was broken. And for believers, how's that? That, that is by devotion, by prayer, coming to church, meditating, meditating on the word of God, obedience, service, and worshiping the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So what does all this mean? Right. What, 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 are we, what are we talking about here on the bottom line? The bottom line is we come down to the end of our year. We need to remember that Jesus Christ, right, we need to make him the number one thing in our lives, right? And here you see in that, when he says, nevertheless, you left. If we keep God in the midst of our, before us and make him number one in our lives, he'll always guide us, he'll lead us, and, he, and we'll see a spiritual uh, discernment. We'll see what God has for our lives, right? We will be able to walk in the spiritual, grow in our walk, and be able to share the gospel message with others. True believers, uh, faith, we're given victory. We're totally given victory, not just in heaven, but here on this side of heaven as well. So, but we need to make God the number one thing because he's telling us, right, that we're going to be able to spend eternity with him, forever with him, and, and that's, that's an amazing thing. So it goes back to what I read earlier in Luke 10, right? Love God with all your heart, all your soul, your mind, and strength, you know, and, and trust in God, and he will lead us, and he's totally is, is an awesome God. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the reminder, Lord, that of your grace and your mercies upon our lives, Lord. Father, we pray, Lord, as, as we come to the end of our year, Lord, we can get so busy. But yet you don't want to leave us that way. You always, Lord, want to to bless us, to lead us, to guide us, and be part of every part of our lives, Lord. I pray for anyone here, Lord, who, who might be in that condition, who might have been just so busy doing other things that they left their first love. Lord, I pray, Lord, that this, going through these verses, Lord, is, is an encouragement to knowing, Lord, that we can at any time return. So I pray for anyone here, Lord, that 
who who's who say in their hearts right now, Lord, that they need they need to make Jesus number one. I pray, Father, that they just have you and they just totally just seek you out by the Spirit. And for my brothers and sisters here who have been walking with the Lord and having you first, we continue to pray, Lord, that continue to this upcoming year that they continue to glorify you through their walk, Lord. And we continue to remind it that you are all that we need to continue to fuel us through our lives, Lord. Father, we want to pray for any of our family or friends who do not know you as their Lord and Savior. And Father, our prayer as a family here, Lord, is for those who either walked away and are not walking with you, that today is the day they come back to you and remember all those things they know is true about you. And for those, our family friends, who do not know you as the Lord and Savior, your word says today is the day for salvation, Lord. Use us to be the extension. Use us for the outreaches here in Manteca and all the surrounding cities, Lord, that you be glorified. For, Lord, we know that you are coming soon, and we want to be busy. We want to be pleasing before you, Lord. So pour out your spirit upon us, and that we do see how you see, and we love how you love. Thank you for your, 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 your presence. Thank you for your son, Jesus. And we lift this up in Jesus' name. Amen.